We direct your attention to the Word of God, this time to the New Testament, to the writing of Peter. Peter, of course, is that disciple of Jesus that we all know so well. And he wrote in his epistle in chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. You should notice at the end of the pew there, a little booklet that says Sojourn. This is, of course, our annual publication, which tells us what all is happening in the life of our church this fall and winter and going into next spring, the classes, the ministries that are available. And this year we cluster around a theme of sojourning. Did you know that our life here as Christians on this earth, the way we are to relate to our culture, the way we are to relate to our generation and to our particular times, is a continuation, an unbroken continuation of that of God's people in the Old Testament. Where did St. Peter get this language to call us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession? Well, he got it out of the Old Testament. We'll look at a couple of those passages in a moment. But as I look at this passage in these four descriptions, I am overcome by the relevance and the reference to Jesus Christ himself. It talks about us being a race, a nation, a people. Three different words, but all clustering around the same notion that we are an offspring. We are people that have been separated out and called. We have been generated and regenerated for a purpose, to be the children of God. A chosen race. Jesus Christ is the elect of God, the chosen one. The Lord calls him my anointed. To anoint has within it 
the idea of choosing to anoint a king as Samuel did King Saul and then King David. To anoint a king is to choose that one to be a king. And Jesus Christ, that's what the word Christ means. Christos, it means anointed. He is the true chosen. And the next phrase, a royal priesthood. That's Christ again. A king and yet a priest. We saw this typified in the Old Testament with Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of righteousness is what his name meant, but he was also a priest. He made offerings and sacrifice and held a communal meal with Abraham and accepted from him a tithe. Jesus is that royal priest. I know you know that Jesus was descended from the house of David, which was of the lineage of Judah. And Judah was the royal tribe, the one that God had promised the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Jesus was descended from Judah, from David in his humanity. He was every bit in line to be the king. But did you know that Jesus was also descended from Levi, the priestly tribe of Israel, the one that God had set aside to be holy unto the Lord? Yes, we see that in the family of his mother Mary, her cousin was Elizabeth, the wife of Zacharias, the mother of John the Baptist. And the Bible says explicitly that Elizabeth was a direct descendant of not just Levi, the priest, but of Aaron, the original high priest. So on his human side, his mother's lineage had priestly blood in it. So Christ was and is to us a royal priest, a king priest. And he has called us to be a kingdom of priests. Each and every one share in his nature. We share in his being. We are in him and he in us. And in that vital hypostatic union, there is a reality that we just don't grasp. We are royal children of the King. We are priests. We are those that stand before God and mediate and receive and have access to God in our priesthood. He says a holy nation. I think we've seen the idea already. Holy means to separate primarily, to cut out from the herd, to make special. If we don't believe in election, we really don't believe in much of the whole notion of God's covenant. That's the way God operates. He chooses, lays his affection upon, calls out and delivers and separates it to himself a people. But he doesn't leave us as we are. The word holy also has the idea of clean, pure, 
He has cleansed us with the blood of Christ. He has purified us with Christ's blood. And He has put the light of His Holy Spirit upon us. He has put us in the fiery trial to test and to purge and to purify our faith and our character. And then the third thing there that's very precious, a people for his own possession. I like the old authorized version, says a peculiar people. <laughs> we think a peculiar meaning kind of, kind of strange, kind of weird, a little off the charts or off the rails maybe. But that's not the root idea of the English word. The English word means a particular people that are distinctive that have features that can be identified that are not necessarily true of other peoples. And that's what God has done. He has made us socially, culturally different. And why we have the quest in our souls to be like the world to be conformed to the world, to be molded in its image, to be pressed down and pushed in the direction of all those around us. What if the church had done that through the centuries? The people of God have, did, have, would have done everything they could to be exactly like everybody else around them. Just like the Romans, just like the Greeks, just like every other nation. There would be no surviving evidence of a church, of a people of God. We're peculiar. We're special. We're not like the phrase he uses here to describe the others are the Gentiles. By the Gentiles, he means those that do not have the covenant, those that do not have the promises. He, he fleshes, the, Paul fleshes this out in Ephesians chapter 2. Those that are alienated and strangers and far off. That's the description of a Gentile. God's people, the true Israel, the new Israel, are a peculiar people separated by God unto Himself. There's also a, a notion in peculiar that shows up in the context in the Old Testament, and that is that we are precious. We are precious. One of the things that makes something precious is not just the affection that you may have for it, but it's rarity. Precious stones are precious because they're not just everywhere. They're only in small pockets and small veins in the earth's surface. There's a few of them, precious stones, but they are high quality. And that's what God calls His people to be. He tells us to do three things in this passage. He tells us to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Is your Christian testimony one of darkness versus light? Or is your salvation such as you didn't hardly know the difference? Just one day you didn't believe in Jesus, then another day you made kind of a casual confession. There wasn't any real difference in it. One day you were walking along and then you said, well, I believe, I'm, I believe I'm okay. I believe I'm as good as the next person. I think I'm, 
I'm happy. I go to church. I do a lot of things. I live a pretty decent life. I must be a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I say the creed. I sing the hymns. I hear the prayers. I pray the prayers myself occasionally when I need to. And that's about it. There's not a lot of difference, but, but I'm... Or is it a testimony of darkness and light? Now I'm talking spiritually, of course, primarily, but physically and emotionally as well. Was there a day when it was sadness, darkness, gloom? Was there a day in your life when you felt shut in and laden with guilt and, and laden with, with shame? A, 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 an intense and a very palpable sense of your own sin and alienation, your lostness that you had strayed. You may have been quite young. I was. I was a preschooler. But it was no less an emotional impact. It was a darkness on my soul. Then Jesus came, the light of the world. And beamed forth a vivifying ray into your soul that quickened you and brought you from darkness to light. Now personalize that. Has there been a difference? Are you peculiar? <laughs> Are you marked out? Are you holy? Are you cut out? Are you chosen? Do you know in your soul that God has placed you in that category, in that group? The next thing we're told to do is to abstain. That means to just, just say no. <laughs> Don't do it. Back away. Flee. Take a pass. Stand up against. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Our greatest enemy is the enemy within. It's our own flesh. It's our own passions. It's our own will. It is our own impulses and proclivities that push us in the direction to do things that are displeasing to God virtually on a daily basis. There's a war that we're involved in. There's a personal struggle. Being that peculiar people, that holy nation, that royal priesthood, it's not automatic. It's not easy. But it's the battle in which we are to be engaged. Third thing he says here, that we are to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Honorable conduct. Men and women, boys and girls of true God-like honor. The integrity of soul. The integrity in our speech. In our actions. The way we treat others. The way we con conduct ourselves day by day, wherever we are. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, that's the persecution that befalls the Christian. They may see your good deeds and glorify God 
on the day of visitation. It's interesting, he says that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. But God will not only be testified about and proclaimed of his people as we proclaim the excellencies of him, but even the Gentiles, the non-believers, will find a day when they too will glorify God. It's on the day of the visitation, the last day, the day when every tongue shall confess. Let me read you one of the sweetest, most affectionate, tender passages in the Holy Bible. It's found in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 and following. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? If you don't know that you're Israel and that God is speaking directly to you, that even though this passage was a historical event 1,500 years before Christ, making it 3,500 years ago when God spoke by Moses to his people, it's still God speaking by Moses to his people. You are the Israel of God. Now Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. God's electing, choosing, drawing, saving love. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Not the foreskin of the flesh. Circumcision of the flesh avails nothing. It's the circumcision of the heart. It's that heart surgery that cuts around the heart and takes out the stony heart and puts in a heart of flesh and tenderness and love and sensitivity. A heart that knows the mind of God and a heart that is always tuned in God's direction. That's what is needed is the circumcision of the heart. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Interesting how the baseline for righteousness is not taking bribes. Listen to this. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow 
and loves the sojourner. There we are. Pilgrims and strangers, sojourners in the land. Giving him food and clothing. This is the basis of everything Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount with respect to God's care over his people. Food and raiment, be content. Listen to verse 19 as he continues. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You mean to put that in modern terms? Love the lost and dying people because you once upon a time was a lost and dying person. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by His name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your praise. He's the content of it. He's the object of it. The subject of it. Did you know the word Judah means praise in Hebrew? It's no accident that that forefather was given that name and he was the forefather that brought forth Christ. Because Christ started out his ministry with one goal in mind. It wasn't just to go to the cross and to die for our sins. It wasn't just to live the absolutely perfectly obedient life that he had to live in order to bestow the benefits of that upon us. He was all that. But you remember his prayer toward the end of his life? Father, I have glorified thee with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus is Judah. He is praise. He tells forth the excellencies. He is your God and he has done for you great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. And then one more precious passage and I'm done. I think I'm beginning to see where Peter got these ideas under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, therefore, this is still Moses speaking this time in Exodus. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession, my precious people among all the peoples for the, all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Do we abstain from the gratification of the flesh? Do we conduct ourselves before all others in a manner that is worthy of the high calling in Jesus Christ? Do we tell forth the excellencies of the Lord. Is He our praise while we're on this sojourn? 